Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. So I'm so glad to have uh, Bosun Tijani here with me from Lagos, Nigeria. So welcome to my podcast, Bosun. A pleasure to be with you, uh, Vesna. Thanks for the invitation. Great. I'm so happy that you're here. Uh, Bosun Tijani is a Nigerian-British entrepreneur. He's the co-founder and chief executive of Co-Creation Hub, a pan-African hub for innovation. He drives the application of innovation and social capital for a better society across Africa. He's a well-awarded and celebrated leader and initiator of many groundbreaking innovations and tech clusters. So Bosun, um, I know that you believe in uh, Africa by design, which means designed and really built with clear intentions. Um, what should those intentions be? Mm, um, no, I like the way you put that question, uh, Vesna, which is, uh, you know, intention i think i think the intention bit of 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 that question is what i find really powerful uh and it is something that is quite central uh to how i do what i do and also what we do generally at ccr is part of our culture at ccr uh i think we all know uh that we live uh in a world that is extremely exciting uh, at the minute uh, aside from the pandemic that we're all dealing with uh, we think uh, the the evolution of, of 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 you know humanity has been extremely exciting. Uh, we live at a time where digital technology uh, is changing how we uh, communicate, how we interact, how we do business, and and literally every facet of our lives, really. And and for me, I think this is where intention is is the key word uh, for how I look at Africa, uh, and the reason for that is that despite all the complications that we see in the world, uh, there are still things uh, that I don't like and I don't want to see in the continent that I'm, I'm a part of. And I think everyone that is part of the world should also not want to see uh, in 2020. Uh, some of the challenges in Africa are not necessarily uh, rocket science, uh, in my opinion. I think uh, a lot of them are problems that have been solved in other parts of the world. Uh, and I think what's still in the way, really, is in how we intentionally leverage uh, existing knowledge, but also how do we intentionally create new knowledge uh, to, to you know, help not only solve some of these problems that we face on the continent, but also help to take advantage of the opportunities that, that are, you know, commonplace all across the continent. You know, Africa has uh, a, a huge opportunity to be part of the world, to offer services to the world, to contribute to the development of the world. And Africa has been doing this for years as well. But the way in which it's been done, it's not been beneficial to, to both Africa and I think the rest of the world really. So the only way forward for me is, is that intention. How do we become more intentional about being an inclusive society uh, in Africa? An inclusive society that leverages the resources for the good of the world, but also the resources for the benefit of the people that are within the continent. So, so for me, I think that's that's the way we need to be thinking about it. It's not necessarily saying cutting out Africa from the rest of the world, but how do we take the resources that exist in Africa to create opportunities for Africa to add value to the world uh, while while we are at it? 
yeah, it's definitely time for uh, Africa to become creators of its own also solutions. And and, and the, the whole continent is, I think, the second most populated, right, around 1.2 billion people or so. And and like in 30 years or so, you will have the largest youth population in the world, like more or less 60%, 25 and under. And, and, uh, and over the next decade, you have around, I don't know, 200 million Africans who will live in the cities and so on. So what, what, I mean, this is a big topic, of course, but just in, in, in a short way, what, what are, you see, the biggest challenges and, and at the same time, opportunities all in this? Now, the, the biggest challenge is, 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 is actually the fact that there will be more demand on, uh, on resources. There will be more demand on society. Uh, there will be agitation, Right. Uh, you know, the current infrastructure, which is very weak, uh, will see more uh, pressure. Uh, the, also, the lack of it as well. There are places where we don't have enough infrastructure to cover things. We'll also see more pressure. There will be pressure to educate, uh, you know, uh, people in a different way. The, you know, the future of education and work itself is changing. There will be demand uh, for more jobs as well, because as the population is growing, people uh, would look for ways to ensure that they can keep uh, their livelihood going. Um, there will be pressure on public health, as you can imagine. But in all of these as well, you will find opportunity because then what it means is that the market in itself is is going to be huge. You've already mentioned the fact that I think Africa today has uh, one of the youngest population in the world, actually, not, not even projected uh, as of today. Uh, and what that means is that you have more people who are of working age. You have more people who are somewhat restless and restlessness can lead to innovation and creativity in so many ways. So you have more people creating value. Uh, but the challenge then will be, uh, do we, have we built a society that is able to empower and enable people? Have we built a society that is able to provide opportunity to people regardless of their background, you know, without knowing people at the top? You know, have we built a society that, that would allow people to be able to fulfill their potentials? I think these are some of the challenges that we're, where Africa is already currently facing, to be honest, not that we're going to face Africa. The continent is already facing this. Uh, but some of it as well will be whether we have strong enough uh, innovation systems in our countries to empower those who want to innovate, uh, whether we've built an inclusive society, uh, you know, where people, regardless of their age or gender uh, or even ethnic group, are able to contribute uh, to making the society a better place. I think that's, that's the biggest pressure, that melting pot of, you know, diversity, that melting pot of ideas, that melting pot of different ways of thinking. And you, you can already see it with what is happening in Nigeria and in the rest of the African continent today, where younger people are demanding for a better society, you know, where they're demanding for changes in the way they're being policed, where they're demanding for uh, good governance, you know, where older folks who don't have an understanding of the digital era are struggling to understand, you know, what people are doing on social media or the kind of creativity that is coming out of the modern day technology. You're already seeing this friction in society. And I think that's going to be Africa's biggest problem. I think the big problem won't even be the problems that we've always known with the continent. The biggest problem is going to be friction amongst this young population of people 
who sees no limitation because they exist in a world where there's no barrier to access to knowledge, for instance. Internet is democratized access to knowledge. And with the diffusion of internet on the continent as well, these young people are being exposed to modern way of doing things. They are being exposed to cutting-edge solutions. They are being exposed to their mates all over the world. Then you still have them being ruled by people who are totally disconnected from some of these realities. So the biggest challenge is going to be that friction. So how do we bring in the opportunities that comes with this new way of thinking, with this new youth population? How do we marry that with a system that is traditionally weak and with leaders who may not be as connected as this youth population? That's going to be where our challenge and opportunity will be. If we can find a way to bridge that gap if we can find a way to connect these two sides of society, I think Africa may be onto something that the rest of the world will be extremely proud of. Hmm. It's extremely important with the with leadership uh, in this context, right? Who's going to be the, the, the leaders who can kind of uh, guide people and also be visionary enough in order to, you know, guide them in the right, good direction. Absolutely. And I think that's where what you said at the beginning is correct, Vesna. Uh, we will need unlikely leaders. We will need leaders that are inclusive in the way they think. You know, we will need leaders that are intentional about how they design, uh, you know, interventions <clears throat> in society. Leaders who understand that there's no one, uh, one size fits all approach. Leaders who understand that, you know, true design, you know, Empathy is, is essential. Leaders will understand that you do need to engage and listen to people, uh, you know, for you to be able to come up with the right solutions to, to problems of society. That's why I think it's quite powerful the way you, 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 you know, you started the conversation, which is that design, you know, and intention. It's going to be what will unlock opportunities for the continent. How do we even design our place in the rest of the world as well? You know, the world is becoming a lot more polarized. And this is the time where Africa is uniting. You see, I've been saying Africa, I've not necessarily been picking on its single country. Africa is uniting. We've signed a single market agreement uh, where Africa is almost going to have the same arrangement as the EU uh, in terms of trade. And, and what that would mean is opportunity will become uh, a lot more commonplace. You know, the market is going to be a market of over 1 billion people as against to individual small market, uh, which means that access to creativity and talent is also going to be across the entire continent. So Africa needs to also design, uh, you know, its place in the entire world as well. But you can't really find your place in the world where you can't even find it locally, where you don't know, you know, what, uh, you know, as a continent or country, what that means to you as a, as a country or continent and your, your citizens as well. So, so I think that's the biggest challenge, really, being intentional about, uh, about our place in the world, but also about our societies as well. Going back to you, Boston, um, what is your um, passion? What drives me is, is that application of science and technology to solving problems on the continent. And, and for me, it comes from the fact that, you know, a society will always need to continue to look for how to be better. And, and there's no better way to be better than to have a solid way of studying your problems and also look for creative ways of, of addressing it. And this is what science and technology gives us the chance to do, that a lot of the problems we'll face will need the application of science and technology. And if we can make this commonplace on the continent, that will get closer to building a society uh, that that is, is is going to be prosperous, but also inclusive as well. Mm. 
Are there any particular transformational points that come up in your mind when you think about your life so far and what has, you know, influenced you the most so far? Um, that's, that's a good question, actually. I think what's influenced me the most is actually being, uh, no, you know, I believe my time uh, working in Europe, uh, you know, working in innovation consulting, uh, working with, you know, academic researchers in looking for ways to commercialize research results. I think something that, that was quite strong in my experience at this time was how much dedication can lead to opportunities, right? How much, you know, you find one academic researcher who's focused on solving a single simple problem. And by doing so, uh, they become quite good at what they do. And not only being quite good at what they do, they're able to also produce something that is of value to society. And for me, it became clear that the, the countries and economies that are strong prioritize, you know, the generation of knowledge, but also the application of knowledge as well. You know, the ability to come up with new ways of doing things, but the ability to not only come up with it, but to apply it for the benefit of society. Whether as a for-profit business or a social enterprise, I think for me, it became really clear that for, for, for Africa to progress, we also need to provide a platform. Uh, we need to build a society that encourage people to not only create, but to also apply their creation for, for social good as well. And, and, you know, in everything I do, I, I mirror this thinking. And that's what I try to push in all my endeavors as well. Mm. And, and uh, for you as a more of a, a kind of a private person, so to say, is there any other kind of points in your life where you felt that, okay, when that happened or when he or she said that, I realized something that kind of, you know, moved you in another direction? When I was finishing up my first degree in Nigeria, I had a girlfriend then who, uh, you know, who knew I was I was quite paranoid, and I and I, I was indeed, you know, at this point of my life, I wasn't sure of what uh, the future uh, was going to turn out to be. Uh, there weren't that much opportunities around me, so I was really worried. And there was one thing she kept saying, uh, you know, which was the fact that. The future is bright. I still, I still remember that that the future is bright, but I couldn't see it. But you know that it stood with me that that you know it stuck. And in everything I do, whenever I remember that, there's some sort of calmness that comes into uh, into my life. And I've come to discover that, to be honest, uh, you know, as a, as young people, we tend to worry too much about what the future holds. And and quickly, we, we, we tend to also realize later in future that, you know, things are not as complex as we tend to, we tend to think. I think if I, if I took on that philosophy earlier in life, I kind of feel like I would have enjoyed my youth age way much more than I did, actually, because everything I was scared of uh, ended up not happening. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's very, that's very typical for, for all of us, regardless of age, I think, that we maybe 95% of our time worrying about things that will never happen. Absolutely. It's kind of insane, actually. <laughs> and we're all doing it one way or the other. We all do it. We, you know, we, we think about it, people say it to us, uh, but we still end up worrying. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't say now I don't worry anymore. I think I still do. But at least I remember that point in my life vividly. 
you know, that reminder that the future is bright. And I think really, you know, it pushes me now, even at this age, that there's not much to worry about. Mm, that's great. You need to tell her that. <laughs> what long-term solutions for business do you believe in? That's, 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 that's a good question. And I think when I talk about business, I always say to people that, you know, depending on who you are and where you sit, um, my opinion on business is, is may, may or may not be relevant. If you're European or you're American, you, you may not find my opinion important. But if you're from Africa, uh, I think if you look deeply, uh, you will find it important. And the reason for that is that when you look at the, the stories of successful nations, you will find that entrepreneurs are always embedded in how these nations were formed. Even in Europe, that is quite socially inclined. Uh, you will find a list of entrepreneurs who have pushed the boundaries of knowledge, have created something extremely innovative that ended up becoming a product that they made so much money from, but at the same time ended up becoming a product that solved significant problems in, in, their, in their country at first, but also in the world. And by doing that, they then contributed to the bottom line of their countries, their economies, uh, and so many more things then grew out of it. And that's the perspective I take with business. I do believe that for any entrepreneur that is linked directly to Africa, that we do have a responsibility to see business as not only opportunity to generate returns for ourselves, but also opportunity to build something that will have significant impact on the African continent. Significant impact, whether in the way people perceive Africa, significant impact, whether in the way industries and sectors within the continent grow. So it, so it won't make much sense for me uh, as an African entrepreneur to build a CC hub uh, whose all resources and assets is tied to, say, an external country uh, outside of Africa. And not because I'm being nationalistic. I'm just being aware, you know, that, that businesses also shape the evolution of nations. You can see this in the US, you can see it in UK, Italy, anywhere you look, that businesses shape the evolution of nations. And when you build a successful business, you're building an ecosystem. And the way you conceptualize that ecosystem is what would determine whether your society, your immediate society benefits from it or not. If we have more companies like Dangote, like, uh, you know, First Bank from Tony Lumelu, like CCO, that are deeply rooted in the African society, They'll be building an ecosystem, they'll be building value chain that will create a culture that helps to make African countries a lot more prosperous, that will help to solve problems in society. They'll be able to raise more families to look after themselves and create more innovators, create more, more people with critical thinking. So for me, that's what I always see with business, that for, business is not only about generating returns, especially because I'm African. If I was British alone, perhaps, you know, you can have a more balance towards returns and, and a bit on society, because I know every businessman should think of society, but I, but I think more so for Africans, because we have the responsibility uh, to help to build a foundation that, that can change the path that the continent is, is on at the minute. Do you see any particular leader or, or maybe several right now in Africa that you think has the potential, you know, whether that's in the political arena or whether that's a leader in the business sphere that you, um, you know, admire and think is really doing the right thing? 
Yeah, I think I think top on the list will be Mo Ibrahim. Uh, you know, I think Mo Ibrahim started something significant uh, in telecoms. He was one of the you know first set of people to build you know the GSM network uh, the way we now know it on the African continent. But he's then used his resources uh, to focus on also building uh, good governance because based on his experience, he realized that you know his business would have been a lot more successful if there was good governance on the continent. That's some of the things he had to invest in, some of the things he had to be the one looking after. He had to literally build roads in some places because he was creating new markets, you know, that that he could have done them way faster if good governance was commonplace on the African continent. So I think Mo Ibrahim is is one great example that, that a lot of people can look forward to. You have also Fred Swanika, who is a much more younger, uh, you know, entrepreneur who's literally focused on building businesses uh, that can shape society. Fred Masiwia as well, who is the founder of Equinet, is also, uh, you know, someone that is, uh, has grown an exciting business, uh, also worth looking up to. Another exciting person who is not particularly popular, but has built one of the most uh, uh, successful retail bank, bank in Nigeria is Fola Diola. Um, you know, extremely committed to supporting entrepreneurship uh, and he's been doing it, uh, you know, for years. So, so there are great examples of, of these people on the continent, but I, I think we need a lot much more. Uh, if you look at where Africa needs to be and some of the social challenges that we still face on the continent. Mm. Uh, if you would assume that you have, you know, all doors open to you and all resources available, is there Anything right now in particular that you would go and innovate or or change, you know, be it in your world or in another sector? No, absolutely. I think it will be science education for me. <laughs> and, and this is not just peculiar to Africa, but I think the entire world, but, but more so for Africa. Uh, I think, you know, the, the trajectory that the world is on at the minute would push us and demand that, uh, we we support and 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 enable more innovators globally, not only in Africa, but I think the entire world. Uh, as you can see, we need people who are constantly thinking of solutions, uh, you know, to solve some of the challenges that we face uh, in the world today. But I think more so for Africa. I think the way education is currently structured, especially on the continent and on the African continent, it's not productive. It's it's it's, it's based around just creating people for a work a workplace that existed, I think, 10, 15 years ago, not the workplace of the future. So what I would like to invest on, and which is a movement, really, I would love to be able to invest in a movement across the continent where we're raising a new generation of tinkers, a new generation of creative people. Young people would end up having lifelong interest in science and creativity. You know, young people believe that they can literally build anything. Who don't see... Uh, barriers to, to what they can build because we live in a world now where access to information is quite flat. You, anyone can get access to it. But the real challenge is whether you can apply the knowledge that you have access to. And I think if Africa can do that in mass, and from my experience of the work I've done in the past, it takes about five to 10 years to start to see the, the benefits of, of uh, investments like that. You know, where if you go across the continent and you invest heavily in science education today. A lot of the kids that you're going to meet that will be in secondary school, 
in, in the next five years would have probably finished university. And most of these people, even while they're still at university, most of them will become those who are creating. And that's what we've seen with the work we did at CCL. You know, where when we started 10 years ago, a lot of the boys who came in into the space at, at age 19, 2022, are now some of the celebrated tech entrepreneurs on the African continent today, just, just within 10 years. So, so yes, if I have all the resources in the world, I will create uh, maker spaces for young people between the ages of five and 18 uh, in, in different cities across Africa, train young trainers who can help these kids understand how to build their creative confidence, but also how to create stuff that are basic as well and give them the chance to just keep creating. And I know that in five to 10 years time, uh, there will be strong innovators that will be linked linked to to these uh you know to these maker spaces and you know these innovators who would end up building solutions to some of the pressing challenges in Africa but also the world as a whole. Mm. That sounds wonderful. And I think that actually these kind of you could say creative hubs or or, or for young people would be amazing to have anywhere um in that sense. And that, and I know that there are a lot of interesting um education, you could say big education projects in the world where everybody's really trying to transform education into, into um, a place where you can discover who you are, your talents, your, you know, your connection with everything and also what creativity is and could be. So all of that is needed really um, everywhere, I would say. No, absolutely. You're right. Uh, even in, even in Europe, uh, my kids live in the UK, uh, you know, and I know that up until I bought a, a 3D printer, they, they didn't know what it was. They've never been exposed to it. But I have already have five of these makerspaces in a few cities in Africa. And African young people have been going in there, you know, even the things they learn in coding, the things they learn in physical computing, the science science concept that we're exposing them to in Africa. My kids in the UK are yet to be exposed to it. Uh, you know, so you'll find that a lot of the cities, so it's not unique to Africa, I think. And you're right that there's been this movement to changing the way education is done. I think the, the best known example is in Netherlands, a, a school which I believe is called Agora School or something like that. Uh, you know, they've been piloting this model. It is the future of education. Education is going to be, uh, you know, about creative confidence more than, you know, than how much knowledge you've been given because knowledge is now, uh, you know, commonly available. Uh, access to knowledge is not a problem now, but what do you do with the knowledge that you have? Yeah, exactly. And in that sense, I think also whatever we call um, experience and wisdom, which comes with, age as well and experience that will be worth gold and how to interact and integrate these young kids with this creativity and combine that with experience and, and wisdom somehow no absolutely creating a bridge between uh the two words which which i think i imagine because i think we we live in two words now you know there's almost like there's a virtual reality or, or second life that is already existing and you know there's still the normal life where a lot of people still live in and, and the younger generation more and more are uh, living in this digital life where their creativity is being uh, unbundled, where they're creating extremely exciting things. If you could give one piece of advice to, to leaders, what would it be? More than ever before, this may sound like uh, rhetoric, but more than ever before, there's a need for the world to unite. 
And you can see the need for that even in this pandemic. Uh, coronavirus made every country to start looking extremely inward uh, because to the best of people's knowledge, the best way to solve this is lock down, manage your people, uh, <clears throat> try to get the, uh, you know, the necessary ways of treating the disease, how to manage the spread. So countries started heavily looking inward. But this is a virus in the first place that, that came because we're all connected. Uh, so how come we're addressing it uh, as individual nations, as against us, as, as, you know, connected collective people? Uh, I think we didn't do that. But, but this virus, to the best of my knowledge, and this is what I've been saying for any, anywhere where I have the chance to say, is that this virus almost mirrors what's the reality of the current uh, wave of digital technologies that we have access to, what, what the impact is going to look, look like on society. The digital technologies that we're sitting on at the minute is quite different. And I'm not an alarmist, eh? you know, because I work within the tech space. I'm, I'm extremely proud of the innovation and the inventions that are coming up out, you know, from this current wave, wave of technologies. But at the same time, these technologies means that we're extremely connected like never before. Uh, you know, this technology also means that we can process information, you know, at a level that we've never been able to, to process it before. But it also means that our vulnerability is also a lot more exposed than, than it has ever been before. So for the world to actually make good of this technology and ensure that the bad part of it is not what uh, is taking root, we will need to be united. Uh, and I think leaders need to take it a lot more seriously. Neither, leaders need to invest in it. Leaders need to see it as an opportunity, but also as, as an opportunity that demand that we're responsible. And if you were to give advice to yourself, Yes. I don't know, 10, 15 years ago or something. Uh, what would it be? <laughs> uh, that, that's, uh, it's a good question, but, but I think what it will be is what I'm now morphing into, which is focus. Uh, that's what it will be, focus. Uh, I, I, and I think more so this is an advice that is even more relevant today uh, because of the way we all consume information. Um, you know, we're all becoming experts at everything. Right. You know, so it's hard to be to be focused. You know, you can do so many, uh, you know, things uh, today. But but what I've also learned is that the world needs more people who are specialists, um, but specialists with uh, also uh, some sort of understanding of how the world works. You know, specialists who are able to situate their knowledge uh, in, in, a, in an inclusive society. You know, so, so for me, I think if I look back, that, that would be what I'll say to myself. Uh, you know, focus in whatever you do, focus. Uh, be extremely focused about it. Be the best you can be at it. And, and, and yes, another justification for it is that uh, whether be it in Africa, I think more so for Africa, a lot of the challenges we face in Africa are wicked problems. And, and by wicked problems, there are problems where the requirement for you to address them is constantly changing, right? So if you take education or public health, for instance, in Africa, to fix education in Africa, the requirements is constantly changing. A few years ago, the problems in education in Africa was that we, we didn't have enough teachers, uh, so we needed to train more teachers, we needed to build more schools. Uh, fast forward to 2020, 
you know, now it's digital education. Even if you have more schools today, it doesn't mean that you're able to provide the right education. If you have more teachers today, it doesn't mean that you're able to provide the right education. It's the same thing in public health. We were battling with Ebola, with malaria, with Lassa fever. Fast forward to 2020 is now coronavirus. So what we need to be able to address wicked problems on the continent will be uh, people who are dedicated to understanding issues, right, as against generally. So if you see someone who's been studying the evolution of education or public health, say for the last 20, 30 years, there's every likelihood that they're they're able to spot the trends and opportunities that are arriving and they can help society, you know, prepare for it. And I think for Africa, that's how we're going to solve some of our problems. Europe and the U.S., you know, there's always been this luxury in this continent of people uh, say in Europe, who, who are experts at what they do, who focus, who provide guidance for society. I think we need more of such people on the African continent. And that's what I'll say to myself, focus. Mm. And when you say focus, I'm also thinking about um, if you really want to focus on something entirely and be great at it and be able to contribute, how do you know what that thing is? It's more of a personal journey, to be honest. It's it's more more about finding what you think uh, switch you on as an individual. Uh, from from when I was young, for me, it's always been the awareness that there's so much opportunities around me that are unfulfilled. Right, that's always been the awareness for me that there's so much unfulfilled opportunities around me, whether it's in pe- people or is in natural resources. And it, for me, it's always been how can we not make this the, the case, you know, how can we ensure that we can fulfill the opportunities, we can take advantage of opportunities for good in our society. So that's always been the driver for me. And, and my push has always been, you know, what can I do to contribute to that? How do I help, uh, you know, build a society that is inclusive, but also a society that can make the most of resources? So, so for me, I think it's always finding that, that sweet spot. Uh, and 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 in finding it, it's then knowing that nothing is constant. So so when I'm looking at how to support with innovation, I'm I'm constantly thinking what is changing in the way we perceive innovation, what is changing in the way we perceive resources, in the way we build. You know what do we need to put in place? So that constant awareness that this this is a moving target is what makes focus more exciting because you're not stuck on just one thing. What do you think is the most, most important thing for companies to focus on right now? So, so, so again, from my perspective, what I've been seeing that I think companies need to focus on uh, is actually the, the line that is blurring around social infrastructure. Um, I think this is a concept that we've not really taken to heart. Uh, and social infrastructure for me, uh, literally infrastructure that I think makes the society function. You know, so whether you're talking about pubs or you're talking about parks or you're talking about restaurants, you're talking about schools, you know, I think all of these things are embedded in the way society functions. And a lot of these things are dependent on businesses, but businesses are not aware that their services contribute to a strong social infrastructure. You know, even going into a supermarket, yeah, a supermarket is part of the social infrastructure. And what we're seeing today with a combination of this pandemic, but also technology, is the assumption that everything and most things can be digital, which is true. 
But that assumption is killing social infrastructure because it means that we're not connected the way we used to as humanity. And if we destroy social infrastructure in society, what will happen is that society will become a lot weaker and even the companies who want to benefit from it will not benefit from it. So I think companies need to be aware of how their product, their services, you know, fit into how social infrastructure exists within society. What role do they play in building a strong social infrastructure? And I'm not talking about social corporate social responsibility. This is actually business, that a lot of businesses are part of social infrastructure in society, but social infrastructure is becoming weaker and it shouldn't be so. And my final question to you, Boston, is this one. What do you think the world needs most at this time? Is empathy. I think I think the world needs more empathy in, in this time. And, and anyone can have empathy, uh, to be honest, regardless of whether you're... Uh, a shrewd capitalist or your your a soft social inclined entrepreneur i think i think we can all bring empathy into what we do uh we can bring empathy into how we build products uh we can build, bring empathy into how we lead as as you know political leaders or people in government public office holders uh you know we can bring empathy into uh how we teach young people as, as teachers. And, and the reason for that is that the world is going through a whole lot and no one knows how best to manage uh, what we're going through at the minute. Uh, and, I, and I keep saying it, whether it's the pandemic or the future, the way we're building the future, there's too much uncertainty. Uh, there are too many people who are worried about you know where where the world is leading to and their place in that world, and I think when we all bring empathy into what we do, even if you're a businessman that wants to make a lot of money, uh, if you bring empathy into how how you build your solution, uh, you will actually get more people paying you because your your product would solve people's need, uh, but also help make the world you know a lot better as well. So the future is bright, right? It is bright indeed. <laughs> the future is bright. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Boson. Uh, thanks for uh, sharing everything. And to find out more about Boson and his um, work uh, and everything he's involved in, and that's a lot, uh, you can see links and show notes on corporateunplugged.com. And uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing Boson. Uh, also, please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao. Ciao, Basun. Bye.